You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. My co-host today doesn't need much introduction. He's one of the stars of the Doc Lounge podcast, or VP of Training, Mr. Chris Call. So today on the podcast, we have a very inspiring woman. For our Ask the Expert series, we have Lisa Dolge from Dolge Law Group. Lisa is a practicing attorney in Dallas, Texas, and was recently rated Best Lawyers Under 40 for four consecutive years in a row. Today, we are going to speak with Lisa about non-compete agreements and hopefully give some strong insight for our physician listeners who have questions on this topic. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So to start off, Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into specializing in non-competes specifically. Sure. So I've been practicing for 16 years. I do quite a bit of business and employment litigation. And about 10 years ago, I went to an educational event for lawyers that talked about non-compete agreements. I thought it would be fun to try a case like that. Then I kind of started writing about it, blogging about it, um, and started getting a lot of interest from from physicians among um, other clients and just started doing that work. And um, I find it very interesting. I litigate non-competes all the time. So sometimes I'm representing the employer and sometimes I represent the employee, um, but I've pretty much done every permutation of a non-compete dispute. So, mm-hmm. and to this day, it never gets boring. So you're, so you're board certified in employment law. So it's not just physicians, it's any type of employment, correct? That's correct. Yes. So Chris, I know you had a lot of questions for her, so I'm going to pass the mic over to you and uh, uh, let you take it from here. Great. Thank you. Lisa, thank you for joining us today. Um, I wanted to start out with to assist the physicians that are listening in. Can you enlighten our audience in the difference between non-compete and non-solicitation? I think that can confuse some people. Uh, What would you say the differences are? Well, the main difference is a non-compete agreement is usually a restriction tied to a geographic area. So it doesn't relate to patients or or anything else. So it will say something like, you cannot practice medicine within a certain radius of a certain location or within a certain state or will define some other geographic unit. Whereas a non-solicit is usually tied to specific types of individuals. You cannot solicit patients, and it doesn't really have a geographic limit. And I, I understand why there is confusion because I've seen a lot of agreements where those terms are used interchangeably, or the agreement is titled a non-solicit, but there is a non-compete in it, or vice versa. So it, it it's it's used it's not used precisely a lot of times. Okay, um, you bring up a geographic distance and I've had physicians ask me and I'm not an attorney let's say it says you know within five miles or 10 miles of the hospital or the clinic or any of their clinics how do you determine if that's a reasonable distance in a non-compete 
Well, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> that's why we asked. <laughs> so I, I think, let me, let me just kind of give you a general background on it. So every state regulates non-competes. Um, every state has their own rules. Most of the states, 99% of the states will use this phrase that a non-compete has to be reasonable and it has to be a reasonable geographic territory. What is reasonable is usually a big dispute between a physician and a medical practice, because as you can imagine, medical practice wants the largest possible geographic area, a physician wants the smallest one. So the factors that the courts will consider are, you know, is the medical practice within a very densely populated area? If that's the case, then a smaller radius would be more reasonable. But if it's a medical practice, let's say in El Paso, Texas, and people drive hundreds and hundreds of miles to see a physician, um, then you know a 200-mile radius may be reasonable in that in that situation. Also depends on the specialty of a physician. So if it's a highly specialized um, medical practice, then perhaps people are traveling from all over the United States to see that particular physician. If it's a general practitioner, you know, that's that's a different consideration. So those are kind of the factors that the courts will look at in deciding whether the area that's specified in the agreement is reasonable or not. Okay. Now, there's something terms a lot of physicians here is the stark rules. Are there any rules that affect the non-compete, in your opinion? I don't see, um, I haven't seen that issue come up at all. So I haven't, I haven't had anyone make that argument. I haven't made that argument. So, so far, um, I don't see any cross-section between Stark and non-compete agreements. Um, in fact, what I'm seeing is um, a lot of private equity you know, uh, funds that are investing into healthcare franchises and healthcare um, practices um, typically will have really, really strict non-compete agreements. And so they, they certainly vet that issue and haven't found an issue with that. Okay. Uh, are there certain states that where the non-compete is not enforceable? If so, why? Yes, there are several states. So there are three states in the country that don't enforce non-compete agreements for anyone, including physicians. And that's California, obviously. Um, I think everyone knows that. North Dakota and Oklahoma. So oh. those are... Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, yeah, it's an interesting selection of states, but those um, three states don't recognize non-competes for anyone, and then you have a number of states that either prohibit non-competes for physicians, or they limit application uh, of non-compete agreements for physicians. So, for example, in Texas, um, for a non-compete to be enforceable with a physician, it has to have certain things in the agreement. If it doesn't have those things in the agreement that agreement is not enforceable. Colorado has um, their own restrictions. Florida has restrictions. Um, Washington DC prohibits physician non-compete agreements unless a physician um, makes more than $250,000. So it really depends on the state. So it sounds like it's a very complex issue and someone with your expertise out there really can provide some clarity because there sounds like there's a lot of different different uh, situations that come up with the agreements. Yes, and I I would, you know, I would advise any physician that is dealing with the non-compete issue to consult with an attorney because 
I know they, a lot of them do this. They'll go and they'll Google, right? I mean, we all do this. It's, and I always liken it to like me Googling my medical symptoms on WebMD, right? (laughs) I mean, it's the same, it's the same result. You will find a lot of articles, a lot of opinions, a lot of forums where physicians talk about non-compete agreements, but it's all anecdotal. What really matters is what in that particular physician's employment agreement, what language is in that agreement and what state law applies to that agreement. And so it's great to talk to other physicians or, you know, look on for things on the internet, but it's not going to provide uh, clarity to that particular physician. So the only, you know, person that can provide that is, an, is frankly an attorney um, who can look at that agreement and, and tell definitively whether it's enforceable or not. Um, and, yeah. So does it matter? Cause I've had physicians say, well, I'm going to get an attorney, but they're, let's say they're in New York, but the job's in Missouri. Does it matter if that person, that attorney is licensed in Missouri or New York, or is it all stuff that, you know, your typical attorney like yourself can handle? Well, it, it matters. So there are attorneys that do this all over the country. So they, if they specialize in non-compete agreements, I, I did this at my last firm. I was familiar with this area for every state. Uh, but most of the attorneys, if they practice in a particular geographic area, that's going to be the focus of their knowledge. So when a physician gets a copy of a non-compete from, uh, from their you know, practice that they're about to join, they really should figure out what the agreement says about which state's law is going to apply. So pretty much every employment agreement says, you know, this agreement is governed by Delaware law or Nevada law. They'll specify which state's law applies, and then they should truly find an attorney probably in that state to advise them on that issue. Mm-hmm. How often do you come across non-competes that are horrible, that are written horribly, that um, are just taking up a lot of your time and you tell the physician, this is not something you need to sign? Uh, A lot. So, (laughs) and I don't know how much of that is, you know, that people that have good non-compete agreements don't come to me, right? I'm kind of like the ER physician. (laughs) People only come to me when Mm -hmm. something bad happened. So I usually have clients come to me either because they're, if, if, you know, either an agreement is being given to them and, and they're being told you need to sign it. And so they are thinking ahead and they're saying, okay, let me have a lawyer review it. Or they've already signed it and they're trying to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen a lot of bad agreements. I've seen agreements where a medical practice will put together an agreement themselves. So not an attorney that put it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times there is stuff that's missing from the agreement. And so when they are trying to enforce it, they come to an attorney and they say, I want to enforce it. There's a problem there, right? Um, and I've seen agreements that um, are copied. You know, somebody took a, a, an agreement they had with another employer or a hospital and they repurpose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it doesn't translate well. Um, I've seen agreements for, for physicians. I've seen a lot of agreements um, where they sign it with the understanding that they're going to work for a particular location. And they're fine with that. But after they sign it, they're being now told, hey, we're opening another clinic or two more locations and we want you to do, you know, half a day here, a day over there. And so when they leave the practice, all of a sudden their non-compete that was supposed to be a radius around that one location where they originally started working now covers five different locations 
And mm-hmm. I see that happen a lot. And so if a physician doesn't negotiate that at the beginning, and we need to limit what location I'm going to be working at, um, then they will be stuck dealing with that situation when they're trying to exit. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And I asked that question because it's so important for physicians to inquire an attorney with these non-competes, even if they think that they understand it and they know it. Um, just like you said, you've come across so many that blow your mind that are, are, are you know, not something that a physician should sign. Oh, absolutely. And I, I will tell you, I've seen situations where um, I've seen this with um, anesthesiology practices because they're growing, they're buying, uh, you know, kind of gobbling up smaller practices. And I've seen where they hand a non-compete agreement to a physician and it has 20, 25 locations on there. And what's making it even worse, I look at that agreement and say, you know, absolutely do not sign this unless you are willing to be locked out out of the entire or Metroplex area, for example, and they go back to the practice and the practice is telling them that it doesn't have a non-compete or, or you know, that they're misreading the document. And, and so not even being kind of honest about what's in the agreement. And so having an attorney explain what the agreement actually means helps because if they're relying on the representations that the practice is making, they're going to end up signing a really, really restrictive document and they're going to be stuck with it. Lisa, um, some of the non-competes that I've looked at, once again, I'm not a legal mind, uh, have a buyout provision and or liquidated damages uh, to get out of that and then practice across the street. If that's the case, what's the best way to determine if that buyout amount is reasonable? <laughs> that's another question. I'm, I'm actually dealing with that right now in one of my cases. Um, so... Texas is one of those states that has a buyout requirement. If a non-compete doesn't have a buyout clause in it, then that agreement is not enforceable. So every physician non-compete agreement in Texas that's, you know, written correctly will have a buyout amount. Those range from, you know, I've seen 50 grand and I've seen a couple of millions. Um, There is zero authority in Texas on what a reasonable amount is. And so you end up having to go to arbitration to have an arbitrator determine it. And um, there's there's really no guidance in the statute. So with that understanding, I think physicians have to look at that clause clause very closely and understand that, you know, whatever that amount is, they're gonna have to end up they're gonna end up litigating it if they want to challenge it, and so not to agree to it if they think it's too high, um, because at the end of the day, it just it's just it's a gamble. You know, are you going to go to litigation to figure out what is reasonable? And are you going to agree to that amount um, at the end of the day? And so I, I think physicians have to really look at that amount and figure out, um, do, do I think this is reasonable or not? Have you, had, have you had physicians that sought out your counsel about maybe the, about the, the buyout or the geographic and you gave them advice and then they move forward anyhow accepted the agreement against your advice and then contact you after the fact and said, Lisa, I made a mistake. Have you had situations like that? I'm trying to think. I, I, I must have uh, had a, a client or two that had signed an agreement against my advice, uh, but not too many. I think most of them do take into consideration what I tell them. 
Um, and you know what? It, I mean, I think it's fine for somebody to go into an agreement that's really restrictive, as long as they understand that if they want to leave the practice, they're going to have to move somewhere else. So don't buy a house, you know, discuss it with your spouse, understand, and also negotiate a higher salary. Because I think you can also do that. Say, okay, if I want a bigger non-compete, if you want a bigger non-compete, then I want to be compensated for it. I think all of those alternatives are fine as long as you understand what you're agreeing to. Mm-hmm. Right. Are there certain types of employment settings where the non-compete is more prevalent? Like a single specialty group or what, what has been your experience? So, you know, well, I mean, usually the practices that come to me have non-compete agreements. So I don't have like, I don't, I don't know who doesn't have them. Right. Um, it's only, it's only, it's only those that have them that will come to me. And I've seen them cover every medical practice area um, possible. Um, I do know that if it's a medical, I mean, what I've observed over, especially the last five years, if it's a medical practice that's owned by a private or backed by a private equity fund, or managed by a services organization, then they will ensure that every physician has a non-compete agreement. Um, so that's another thing to consider when joining those practices is they'll, they'll most of the time, they'll have pretty solid non-compete agreements. <laughs> now, I, I've seen in, in some agreements, once again, from a non-legal point of view, that they have this force majeure, like cataclysmic events and things like that. Is COVID considered one of those as a way for a doctor to get out of their non-compete? <laughs> it depends on the language of the agreement, Chris. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've heard that medical practices have started doing that, including COVID um, as part of the force majeure clause. Um, and it is a really a bigger legal question than just the healthcare industry. Um, a lot of companies started including specifically pandemic events into the force majeure. Um, I've also seen companies just modify the language because usually uh, physician employment agreements are for a certain term and the company or the medical practice can't change the compensation during that term. I've seen some medical practices starting to add language that they can change the compensation pretty much at any time if it's, you know, um, economically not viable or some other equally vague language. Um, and that's another thing to watch out for because somebody can agree to a two-year non-compete, for example, thinking that they have a two-year term with the medical practice, but somewhere in that contract that says that they can actually terminate the employment or reduce compensation doesn't affect the non-compete. So you could be thinking, hey, I'm getting half a million in exchange to agreeing for a two-year non-compete, and then two months into your job, they reduce your salary to 350, you're still stuck with a two-year non-compete. So that's another that's another kind of term to watch out for in the agreement. And, and I, unfortunately, I've seen that language buried, okay, somewhere like in the middle of the paragraph or towards the end, that it's not even, it's not prominently um, there. So they do it to be sneaky. Yes. Yes. I have some, not, not all medical practices, of course, but there are some outliers there that will absolutely um, do that. Okay. Um, over the years, and this is from m- many recruiters that I've, I've been working with, they said, you know, I've had physicians come to me a, on a consistent basis and say they thought, this is the physicians, that the more Republican or conservative leaning states had a less litigious 
uh, interpretation of non-competes. Is that an accurate statement? I would say it's the opposite. Okay. Yeah. So I'll give you a couple. I mean, I'm in Texas, so Texas is pretty conservative, um, I think, for the most part. Um, And we enforce our non-competes. And I'm going to say we, I mean, our courts enforce non-competes pretty uh, consistently. And Florida is another state. They won't they won't throw out a non-compete. Even if a non-compete employer is missing a key term, the directive is for the courts to write the term in. Um, so there is a lot of litigation in Florida. And then you have California, which we all know is a liberal state, and there are no non-competes there. So I, I don't think I agree with that. I mean, I'm curious why that's been, you know, kind of the opinion, but I, in my experience, that's not the case. Good. I'm glad you said it because I, I didn't have anything to refute. And I said, Doc, I don't know. And that's just several <laughs> of them. Maybe it was their own opinion based upon nothing. It wasn't fact, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, um, and I know we're coming close on our, on our time. Um, so in addition to the comments you've made already, if you were advising a physician that was considering an agreement with a non-compete and one without a non-compete, what would you tell them to do? Well, it depends on what is the salary the same, <laughs> you know, well, so all things being equal, I mean, sign one without a non-compete agreement. Um, I think the biggest mistake or the biggest myth that I see out there when I say I see that is either physicians are telling me that or I'm seeing this being discussed on forums or I've even seen YouTube videos from physicians advising other physicians saying non-compete agreements are not enforceable. Don't worry about them. You don't need an attorney to negotiate your employment agreement. I would say that's that's a big mistake because you're you're gambling. You're you're basically signing an agreement hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes that's just not the case. And um I think a lot of people have this misconception that they can get out of an agreement. Yes, that's possible in some situations. But if it's a well-written non-compete agreement by somebody who knew what they were doing, there may be no way of getting out of it. And I hate to break that news to some of my clients, but sometimes, uh, not very often, but I do come across agreements that are solid and you're stuck with it or, or you know, you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars litigating it. So I, I would say, you know, don't take it lightly. If I had to give an advice to a physician, don't just look at it and say, it's not enforceable. I don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. When you're engaged with a, a physician that comes to you to review the, their agreement, uh, you read through it, you give them maybe a, a counsel in, in the office or over the phone or Zoom these days. And let's say there's further clarifications. Do you typically engage with opposing counsel for the hospital or the group directly? How does that typically work? It depends on what the client would like me to do. So the initial step is like what you you know said, I, I give my advice. And then if there's negotiation and they want me to negotiate for them, I certainly do that. Um, sometimes I can tell them, you know, I'll be the behind the scenes kind of advisor. Um, if it's a friendly negotiation and the other side won't even know that the client is getting attorney's um, counsel um, advice from an attorney. So it really depends. Got to read the situation. And obviously if it's a, if it's an adversary type of a situation where the physician is getting a cease and desist letter or, you know, some other communication indicating that the medical practice is going to enforce the non-compete, then I get, you know, engaged. Uh, I engage in that conversation quickly. 
Okay. I've had several physicians, uh, and we've seen agreements where a hospital is providing, a, let's say, a loan, an income guarantee, like a three-party agreement to a group. And could you discuss to the listeners about whether they can put a non-compete in there and why? Well, it depends on, on what the, where the hospital is located, which state. But yes, a lot of times they will put a non-compete in there. And a lot of hospitals, for example, in Texas, do have non-compete agreements with their physicians. So yeah, those agreements uh, have to read everything that's given to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a basic rule, but it always surprises me when I find out that somebody signed an agreement, especially with some of the salaries that the physicians are being paid and not reading it or not understanding what the agreement says. So you've got to look at everything that's given to you, including this three-party agreement to you know, see if there's a non-compete in there and whether you, you want to actually agree to that. Right. Are there certain specialties that lend themselves to non-competes? And I know you said people engage with you directly, but are there certain ones that you tend to see more of where this is maybe a lot of dollars on the line? Plastic surgery kind of jumps to mind. I think that's because there's a lot of advertisement that comes with that and building of a goodwill and a brand, ophthalmology, um, cardiology, a lot of surgery specialties, um, have non-compete agreements. Um, trying to think pain management is also a very popular area. Popular is probably not the right word, but common mm-hmm. <laughs> for physicians there to have non-compete agreements. Um, yeah, those are kind of probably, but I'm just thinking of like in the last five years, which, which types of specialties I've dealt with. And those are the ones that I keep seeing. And, and anesthesiology is another one too. Yes. And, and is there a normal time frame? Is it one or two year, three year non-compete that seems to be, I don't know if there is a normal, but what has been your experience? So I, most of the non-competes that I see are about one to two years. Um, some states have limits. I know there is a state and I just can't think of it right now, but just passed a statute that limits non-competes to one year, but that's, mm-hmm. that's an outlier. So Texas, I think Texas can have anything on, um, up to five years, Florida, anything under two years is presumed reasonable. Um, and I think just as a general rule out of the agreements that I see all over the country, it's, it's usually two years or less. What's the longest you've seen? I've seen a five-year okay. five non-compete, but, but that agreement had other issues. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, this was one that was self-written. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now we're getting towards the end of our time. Is there anything that you'd like to discuss with the, the physicians specifically that are out there is that we, maybe we missed that say, hey, you know, guys, you should really be looking for what would that be? So I would say another important thing when looking at a non-compete is what year is the non-compete agreement? Because in the last seven years, the laws around around the country about non-compete agreements have been changing. Um, and that's a long story, but how it all started. But there's been more than 20 states have amended their non-compete statutes. And so depending on when you sign the agreement and whether the new statute actually applies to the agreement, whether it changes the rules for physicians, can also have drastically changed the advice or, you know, whether the agreement is enforceable or not. So that's that's another kind of, you know, that that's another factor that makes this analysis very complex is 
you know, what state is the agreement signed in? What year was it signed? And, and, and other factors. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for taking your time and talking to us today. Um, oh my gosh, this information is priceless and I have learned so much and I know Chris has too. And, um, we would love to have you back on the podcast and, you know, expand later on. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, for those of you listening, I will have uh, Lisa's contact in the description. All right. We'll have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too, guys. It was nice meeting you. Nice Nice meeting you. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast could not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.